Welcome to Scholastic Reads, our podcast about books, authors, and the joy and power of reading. I'm your host, Suzanne McCabe, Editor-at-Large at Scholastic. Thank you for joining us. Sharing a read aloud is a special moment for a child. Perhaps you, too, have a favorite memory like this. A teacher gathers her class on the rug, a book in hand. The students shift in anticipation, remembering where the story left off the last time. A dad, a grandparent, or a babysitter checks that all of a child's stuffed animals are in place so that everyone in the audience can see for story time. A mom sits next to the bathtub where her two kids are splashing and begins to read aloud. Robot kitties everywhere. Some go by fast. Some go by slow. What's that? A fish. How many fish are there? Every other year, Scholastic surveys thousands of kids and their families across the U.S. Our Kids and Family Reading Report gives us insights into the latest trends in children's reading habits. The first of three installments, The Rise of Read Aloud, focuses exclusively on the practice of, you guessed it, reading aloud. We wanted to know when do parents start reading aloud to their children? How often are they reading? What are they reading? And how do kids feel about it all? To find out, we talked with Pam Allen, Senior Vice President of Innovation and Development at Scholastic Education. She's also a literacy expert, an author, and the founder of LitWorld. Tell us, Pam, what do we have to celebrate in the latest Kids and Family Reading Report? Well, I cannot tell you how excited we are by the results of this report. And the good news is that the percentage of parents reading aloud during a child's first three months is up nearly 50% since 2015. Staggering results. Not only that, but the amount of six to eight-year-olds being read aloud to five to seven days a week is up seven points since 2016 alone. Amazing. So, more parents are reading aloud to their young children, and parents are reading aloud more frequently. That is good news. Why is it so important that families read aloud together? You know, it, it's really, it's essential and urgent for a few different reasons. One is that in the deepest possible way, and the report really, really shows that, really illuminates that, is that it's a bonding mechanism for parent or caregiver to child and from child back to caregiver. It's a shared experience around text and there's a relationship that the caregiver, the parent, the grandparent develops between that text that's being read and the child. Something new happens in that. But the second thing about the read aloud that's really incredibly important, and we see it when the children get to school, we can see it as early as a pre-K class or when the child gets to kindergarten and beyond and all the way through the grades, is that children who are read aloud to actually perform better academically in school. 
There are research studies around to prove that exact thing. And the reason is because what we're doing is we're marinating our kids in literary and informational text. We're marinating them in vocabulary and grammatical structures and story. And that's really the powerful thing is that we are surrounding our kids with story. Another finding from the report that I love is that kids and adults alike say overwhelmingly that they enjoy time spent reading aloud together. Here's what one seven-year-old girl told us. It makes me feel happy, and if I don't get to read to at bedtime, it makes me sad. We shared our findings with Sandra Magsaman, the author and artist behind many beloved board books. Sandra's books are intended to be read aloud with babies and toddlers who can't yet read for themselves. This means that she keeps the read-aloud experience in mind throughout the creative process. Her board books are so much more than a story to be told. They are incredibly interactive with lift-the-flap pages, soft suns, and fuzzy flowers. Small books that are made for small hands to hug. Sandra, we know from the Kids and Family Reading Report that more parents than ever are reading aloud to their children from birth. Why does that matter? Well, to me, the number one reason is when you sit down and you, you make time to read with a child, you're telling that child that they are valuable to you, that the time that you're spending with them matters. You're letting them know that, that they're special, that they deserve your time, that your time is very precious. You know, they know you're running around and working and doing all the things, but that you make the time to sit with the child is I think one of the most important things because it's a message of love and acceptance and value. And I think that couldn't be more important that you always have time for your child. So number one, that's it for me. You know, two, there's so many reasons to read, you know, I mean, teaching the child about all sorts of things, whether it's color or numbers or characters or language. And then thirdly, I think within my books, you're really asking the child to identify who they are, what are their, what things matter to them? What are characteristics that are lovely in the characters? You know, I talk a lot about kindness and, and about being kind to nature and drawing inspiration from nature and, you know, hugging and, and playing and, and celebrating the day. Um, and I think you're imparting a lot of wonderful messages along the way. It goes on and on why reading is so important. But for me, the number one reason has to always be that that child knows that your time is best shared with them, that you feel like, like you can give them your time because you value them the most. And that's an important message that someone matters. And that's probably a big reason why children love it so much, why the experience for both parents and children is so enjoyable. And you're creating memories that last a lifetime. You know, not long ago, someone asked me about my favorite books when I was a child and I shared, you know, the books that I that I loved the absolute best growing up that I remember that my mom reading to me and my sisters and I reading together. And those books really formed who I am today. You don't know which books you read to a child are gonna be that book and that story that influences them in their life, but there will be books that do that. There are books that do that. And I think sharing as many books and creating those memories is just 
one of the best and most important gifts we can give our children. I couldn't agree more. Knowing that your books are helping to create those memories for children, how do you keep the read aloud experience in mind when you're designing the books? I do create books that are meant to be read out loud and um, with our children and it at all times during the day, whether it's in the morning when they wake up, whether it's at lunchtime or playtime and almost always, especially at bedtime. And when I'm creating a book, I'm thinking about a mom or a dad or a grandparent or a caregiver creating a very meaningful and special moment with a child. So number one, I'm looking at what's that message that I want to impart within our board book. Number two, how can I, as an artist and as a creator, make something that is unique and offers that child and the reader a new way to connect more closely with that child? And I love to create new and interesting ways to do that within our board books. So it may be creating a mirror um, in a book in a, in a new and unique way. In our Peekaboo series, there's a mirror that goes all the way through the whole book. And that child, when they're being read to, sees themselves within the story the whole way through. Or there may be a lift the flap component where there's a surprise and an aha experience where that caregiver or parent, they get to laugh and explore with that child. It could be something soft and cuddly that that parent can encourage the child to hold on to when they need something to hold on to and feel more secure. I'm always looking and creating different techniques with fabric and material and within the board book material itself, I think of it as very much a pliable and usable material to grow, to express that um, really important message within each book. So for me, it's, it's a creative process that's always unfolding and I'm experimenting and I'm discovering new ways to help that parent or caregiver connect more closely with the child as they're reading. Oh, that's lovely, Sandra. Could you walk us through one of your recent books and just describe the actions that young readers can take on the first few pages? Sure. Well, there's a new book that I have coming out called Baby Love, and um, it's part of my heartfelt and peekaboo series. And what I love about this, it's for a very young reader. And um, on the cover, there's a red felt heart. So there's that tactile component I was talking about. And in the middle of the heart, there's a die cut. So you see a mirror all the way through. So when the minute the child looks at the cover, they see themselves in that heart right there. What an amazing message to give to a child. It says baby love. And that baby knows that they're in that reader's heart right away. And so when you open the first page, it reads, what did the mommy bunny say to her baby bunny? And on the right-hand side, there's that mirror again, and the bunny is circling the mirror. So when that baby looks in that mirror, it thinks it's the bunny, and it says, you're some bunny special. So all the way through, that baby or that child gets to see themselves within that character. So second page reads, what did the mommy elephant say to her baby elephant? I love you a ton. So as the mom or the dad or the caregiver or the grandparent is reading or the teacher, that child is seeing themselves as the object or that character of love all the way through. And then it gets to the end and it says, we go through many animals, and then the end says, what do I say to you? And it, it in a big heart, it says, I love you. And that child sees themselves as the the end of the story is the just, you know, crescendo of love. And I imagine there's lots of big hugging going on after that. 
So it's it's a wonderful way to have that child get into the book in a three-dimensional way. You know, I'm, I, I know there's so much going on with the digital age and kids are using digital um, techniques and tools and they are interacting in some way with that screen. But my idea and my love of books and parents and folks reading to children is that they can interact in a physical, wonderful way where they can play and laugh and move. And these books really become almost like toys, if you will, um, in addition to uh, being uh, literature and words and teaching of words and language. They also are a way to teach about emotions and sharing and connecting. And I think that is such an important goal. And we know from all kinds of research that if a child, the younger they are, the more they're hugged and connected with a parent or a caregiver and made to feel part of and belonging, they then feel more connected and healthy, and they grow to be the best that they can be. So my books are to encourage all of that on many different levels. Taking a closer look at families' habits during read-aloud time, our research shows that it's a partnership with parents and children both taking active roles. Children often choose the books, and kids and parents alike ask questions of each other, turn pages, and punctuate the experience with silly noises and other sound effects. Brown bear, brown bear, what do you see? I see a red bird looking at me. Who's that? Bear. Yes, bear. Red bird, red bird, what do you see? I see a yellow duck looking at me. Yellow. 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 And then look at the yellow duck. Hello. Yeah, what does the duck say? Gaga. Yeah. These types of exchanges are the building blocks of the bonding experience that children talk about when asked to describe why they love read aloud time. Here's what one eight year old girl said was her favorite part My mom and dad would change their voice, and it makes me laugh. It makes books more fun to listen to. Liza Baker knows a thing or two about what makes books more fun to listen to. As vice president and executive editorial director of Scholastic's Cartwheel Books and Orchard Press imprints, she oversees the publishing of some of our favorite picture books each year. So, Liza, what are some of the elements that go into making a great picture book? I have to start with uh, the sort of read aloud quality. Of course, a picture book is a shared experience. You know, oftentimes a child is on your lap, you're heart to heart, and you're reading and sharing a story. So in many ways, it's not only just a read aloud experience, it's a dramatic experience. You're sharing a story. You might read it one way one time and another way a different time. The child might be chiming in and reading along with you when they have a familiar part, when there's rhyme and repetition, call and response. There's so many ingredients that go into it. You know, the magic of the page turn, the tension between the text and the illustration. Oftentimes, it's not just what words are included in the story. It's what words are not included in the story and the sort of space you leave for the reader to fill in the blanks and bring their own experiences to the interpretation. You mentioned the page turn. That is such a crucial element when reading a picture book. Can you talk more about the editorial process behind that? 
So one of the big decisions we make as editors, once we have worked with an author to firm up a text that we feel sings, I always describe it as a text singing, and you've kind of worked, worked through the pacing challenges, you've um, established conflict and you're, you've established your build and you've you know, clearly worked on a satisfying ending, we'll then go back to a text and we call it paginate a text. So we'll actually go through and sort of look for the moments where you might take a breath. Or um, you had asked about the sort of page turn magic. We'll often look for that moment right before. Think about what it, you know, the, the, the seconds it takes to turn the page where you're leaving your reader in anticipation. It's like in an older book, a cliffhanger. So that's your cliffhanger is your page turn. So you might wait to reveal a word that a child might, you know, know or anticipate through rhyme. Um, I'm going to read Groovy Joe, Ice Cream and Dinosaurs, to just give an example. Groovy Joe saw something yummy. Groovy Joe started rubbing his tummy. Groovy Joe was living the dream. He had a spoon and a tub of ice cream, and he started to sing. Love my doggy ice cream. Love my doggy ice cream. Here's the page turn. Roar! And a giant dinosaur runs in. Oh no! A little dinosaur stomped into the room. He glared at the ice cream and took out a spoon. So that's the moment when kids are going to chime in and feel really proud of themselves that they knew what the word is. And, and, and in this particular case, it's just absurd. It's a triceratops with a spoon in his hand. Um, so they're, they're going to be giggling, too. And, and this is the sort of hint. So this is a refrain that Eric Litwin and Tom Lichtenheld played with throughout where it is this reoccurring spoon. <laughs> um, yes, crazy. There's ice cream. There's dinosaurs. There's spoons. It's just really, really fun. So we want to en enhance and exaggerate the sort of dramatics and intensity of that read aloud experience and engage kids to chime in because um, that's what it's all about. Will Bear share her umbrella? Yes! Will Bear share her ice cream? No. Uh-oh! What happened to the ice cream? I know! As you can tell, reading aloud is such a joyful experience for both the kids and the adults. So it makes sense why many kids aren't ready for read-alouds to end. Here's what one 10-year-old girl told us. I was never ready for reading aloud to stop because I love it when my mom reads to me. And here are the words of a 14-year-old boy. My favorite book was Dr. Seuss's Green Eggs and Ham. When my mom got tired of reading it to me, I kept it under my pillow so it would be safe. So when does the practice of reading aloud stop? And why? Here's Pam again. This is the thing that concerns me the most about the report is, and the results is that the thing that is disheartening and that we, I realize this work continues and it's important work, it's big work, is that what we find is that while a majority of families, 55% of them, are reading aloud five to seven days a week before a child turns six, this percentage then begins to decline dramatically after the age of six and falls off each and every year after that. And to me, that is a big concern because I think there's a, 
an idea that when a child can read or decode alone, that that's when we have to step back. But if you think about sports, for example, and you think about how a parent and a child love to play soccer or football or tennis together, as soon as the child's able to do it, they don't step back and say, now you do it. I'm not going to do that with you. Because part of the reason the child actually loves to do it, just like I remember growing up with my dad, just hitting a tennis ball, we'd go to the public courts. And if he had said to me, well, now you're a really good tennis player, you can go play with someone your own age. You know, I would have been really disappointed. I think part of it was just bonding with him. And I think the same is true for reading and reading aloud is that if our children actually, I think it has a counter effect. Our children think, well, when I learn to read, then nobody's going to read with me anymore. Then that's not really the best incentive. I think they're, I really advocate reading aloud to our young people all the way through high school and through college and for the rest of your life. You know, I hope we all have people in our lives who will read aloud to us. But I think academically, after the child is six, we can read in, for two, in two ways. One, to read books that are beyond their levels, beyond what they could do on their own. And so we're really marinating them in really advanced text. And then on the other hand, we can also read books that are books that are familiar and cozy that they can return to and feel really comfortable with. In addition to being an editor at Scholastic, Liza is also a mom to three boys. So my youngest is Caleb. He is six. Byron is eight. And Gardner is nine. And with that many children, I have to concentrate as I tell you their ages. With your son spanning different reading levels, what does the read aloud look like in your home? It's really interesting now is trying to find the right book for the right time. And I, as a working mom, I'm often looking for the right single book for all three. That is a challenge, but it's fun to kind of invite my nine-year-old back into picture books, even though he's independent reading, as is my, my middle boy, Byron. But they still love picture books. And of course, I am a fan. So um, they'll still come back to picture books, especially in the safe home place, right? They, they, they may not carry them around at school. But I mean, I, I just last night was reading and I survived to my nine-year-old because, it, and it sounded terrific to read aloud. I mean, he can read on his own, but he said, mommy, will you, he was tired and he wanted me to read to him. So it, the, the reading aloud experience is one I plan to do well into the teen years. It's such a bonding special moment. It's magical for them. It's magical for me. It brings a book to life in new ways that you never really imagined. One example, too, I read um, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe to all three. And, you know, th the youngest would read up to it. The eldest would read down to it and kind of meet in, in a place in the middle. It's, it's a magical, magical experience. It's great to anticipate that next chapter um, in a longer form book, too. Those are two great strategies for keeping the read aloud going through adolescence. Anything else come to mind that would really inspire parents to keep this going? Well, I found myself, I wanted to read the Harry Potter books. And so the illustrated Harry Potter has really been able to kind of be a, a wonderful connector. The younger kids can focus on the illustrations and the older two. It's just a great bridge book, I think, for families that have kids at different ages. I think poetry is really an underrated art form, and illustrated poetry collections are great for kids. And again, you can bring different layers of interpretation to the books, I think, depending on the age. What about you, Pam? Any tips? Yeah, I mean, the read aloud is definitely something worth getting better at and practicing. And you, one of the best things about it is when you do it, and I always say this to parents and grandparents, is that 
when you do it with your kids, they're your most accepting audience. So you don't have to worry that you're not doing it, quote, right. They love you no matter what you do or how you do it. And I think it's also about inviting them to be part of it too. So to have them take voices, if you're reading you know, a book where there are two characters and each of you take the voice or even reading through the pictures, you don't always have to stick to the words. Inviting all of us to be a little more uh, creative with how we're reading aloud. And I also think the other thing, maybe the biggest thing about getting really good at reading aloud is to reread books you've already read. Our kids love to reread. They love to hear books read aloud to them again and again. And parents always ask me, is that a good thing or a bad thing? And I say, actually, it's really, really good because they're working on the themes, they're working on the language, they're learning new language, and then they want to hear it again. So practicing the read aloud may mean just rereading those favorite books over and over. It's undeniable that it is hard to fit everything in, needed to raise a child into a single day or even a week. But I urge you, parents, grandparents, caregivers, educators, to look closely at this powerful data and to see the opportunities that will open up for the child in your life. Parents tell us they are incorporating read aloud moments into routines, using them at impromptu times throughout the day, reading aloud to foster quiet time, or as a part of an already boisterous playtime. And while the study shows that it is still the mother who reads aloud most often to her children, let's make a new commitment as dads, as men, as grandfathers, as siblings, to read more often to the children in our homes and in our care. The beautiful thing about the read aloud is how it can be tailored to the lifestyles and preferences of families and caregivers. Everyone can join together around the read aloud to create a sense of well-being and mutual care. It is a prescription for lifelong success for the child and a dose of deep well-being for the family. Thanks to Pam, Sandra, Liza, and our read aloud guests for joining me. And thank you for listening. To learn more about the first installment of our Kids and Family Reading Report, check the show notes or go to scholastic.com slash reading report. Stay tuned for more reading-related research. Parts two and three of the report will be released throughout the spring, and you know we'll be right here to share those findings with you. Special thanks to producer Emily Morrow, associate producer Mackenzie Cutrazula, sound engineer Daniel Jordan, and music composer Lucas Elliott Eberl. I am Suzanne McCabe. We look forward to sharing more Scholastic Reads next time.